This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hello, and welcome to another episode of HR in Review. I'm Amelia Brand, your host for today, and this time we're exploring the concept of the four-day working week and the future of hybrid and remote working in the post-COVID world. Today, I'm joined by Kate Palmer, Employment Services Director at Peninsula, who developed Peninsula's expert law advisors and has a team of over 200. As an industry opinion leader, Kate's expertise is frequently sought and regularly features on national television and radio, as well as in major publications. In this episode, we explore why companies are asking for their employees to return back to the office, and also discuss how organisations can encourage a better work-life balance. Kate also stresses the importance of ensuring all employees have equal opportunities for advancement, despite working a four or five day working week. Hi, Kate. Welcome. It's great to have you on the HR in Review podcast today. How are you doing? I'm really well. Thank you, Amelia. And yourself? Great. Thank you. Uh, Before we start then, um, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I'm Kate Palmer, uh, as you said there, and I am the Employment Services Director for a global employment law and HR consultancy firm, Peninsula. So I am based in Manchester, um, albeit we've got sites in Belfast, Glasgow, London, the Midlands um, and across the globe, actually. But I oversee the service within our HR provision. So a team of 260 HR consultants providing advice to um, 40,000 UK businesses, actually, um, Amelia. And oh. we're dealing with things like what's the rate of SSP to I need to shut down my business. How do I do that? To things around flexible working as, as per our discussion today. So um, HR is, is kind of my, my generalist background and then everything service alongside that. Nice. Well, I get, bet that keeps you busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Today, as you said, um, we're going to be talking about how popular the remote slash hybrid working model is going to be in 2024 and also touch on the four day working week a bit. Um, A good starting point then is on the value of flexible working. Um, So how do you think flexible working contributes to things like employee satisfaction and retention? Yeah, I mean, for for many, it's it's really a key priority, Amelia, you know, most employees really embrace and want flexible working but flexible working in that regard can come in many forms it can be different hours weekend working home working hybrid working but I think for an employee to have that in the gift um, and be part of their offering in their role is a really attractive thing so of course it, it is very popular but what about the implementation of flexible policies? I mean, it's clearly uh, an important thing for employers to consider uh, since I think it's from April 2024, any employee will have the statutory right to make a flexible working request from day one of employment. So I guess my question is then, um, how can policymakers support the widespread adoption of flexible working policies um, whilst also advocating for work-life balance initiatives? Yeah, I think, well, as you quite rightly said, their statute is changing and from April it becomes a day one right. So the reality is, to be honest, Amelia, em- employers are being forced to embrace or at least consider flexible working more so. Um, it- it's going to be a-, a legal obligation. So what 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 the law allows for is um, 
from April is a day one right to request. Of course, it's still within that legislation for the employer to refuse on one of the eight defined reasons. But I think it would be very misplaced of them to just adopt a position of non-agreement because if someone's coming in from day one and requests a flexible working arrangement and they say no, I think the question around attrition and retention it is a massive one. So, you know, there's lots of bodies, there's lots of organisations, the CIPD, for example, that we work with closely, um, and wellbeing organisations um, that are really conveying and enforcing the, the, the benefits of flexible working for wellbeing, employee engagement and satisfaction. And I think that messaging just has to continue, Amelia. Um, and that's supported in companies' policies, procedures, the way they think and that all comes from experience training and understanding of the candidates out there Mm. I mean if flexible working does allow for this you know greater work-life balance um why do you think we're seeing so many companies asking for their employees to return back to the office full-time then I mean do you think this will have a negative impact you know on long-term negative impact on their retention rates perhaps it's a really interesting observation because without doubt we are seeing a thrust of businesses um compelling insisting on their employees coming back amazon meta google zoom to name but a few um and and it really depends on the organization to be honest amelia i mean it depends on the organization the role and the individual Mm -hmm. i mean i have to say you know i know the headlines are always that work for work workforce planning work work working at home excuse me is the most popular way to do it these days and hybrid working but lots of people don't actually want to you know I come across many people many employees that actually find it really difficult for the mental health can talk from my own personal perspective I didn't really like working at home during COVID I I felt lines were blurred and that's my home I don't want it to be my work so it it really does depend on the context and the individual and the business I would say I don't necessarily think it has to have a negative effect on businesses if that business really cannot adopt a working from home policy if collaboration in-person training um, if that is a real fundamental aspect to that business's success then that can be really positive so I do do think it's I do think it's context specific Amelia yeah exactly I mean I myself I'm a remote worker and absolutely love it so you know I guess it's about offering that opportunities to all um moving on to the four-day working week then um the working model is arguably gaining popularity even outside the UK um with Germany being the this testing ground for a four-day week with a new pilot project involving 45 companies. So how do you think a four-day working week impacts company culture and, and things like team dynamics? Yeah, I mean, it can have such a positive effect. I mean, feeding into the whole work-life balance piece, you know, you get three days with family and friends or, or doing things at your leisure than, than, than you would too. So obviously that's a massive plus point. And it can work in many organisations where the work is of a nature that allows for five days of work to be to be kind of pushed into four but again, it doesn't work for every business, um, you know, and, and I hate to use that whole it's context specific line again, but it, it, that's the truth. It, it really very much is. Some businesses did the trial of the four day working week and it had such a positive impact on engagement, um, retention, attraction, etc. Some have actually reverted back to a five day working week because it for many impacted their stress levels they couldn't fit the workload into four days colleagues were picking up Mm -hmm. work so it really does depend on the nature of the business 
look, my view is if you can make that work, fantastic. Who doesn't want an extra day off? Yeah. But if the reality is operationally, you know, let's be honest, the reality is operationally that doesn't work, it, then it, then that's understandable for many an organisation. And interestingly, you know, I say that flippantly, who doesn't want a day off? We did have some organisations that we liaise within the trial where people were unhappy that they were in work only for four days and not five because that wow. was their social interaction. So it was rare, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but it did happen for some individuals. <laughs> I mean, yes, you touched um, there that, you know, it might be industry specific. Um, could you maybe give some examples of industries yeah. that might work better with a four day working week and some that might not so not work so well? Yeah, I think roles such as kind of marketing and digital organisations where you may be working on projects and you're not always client facing every minute of the working day, you can tend to be able to kind of mutate deadlines and project working to enable um, flexibility in the hours you work, the days you work, etc. But say, for example, I don't know, um, say, for example, you're a client facing organisation that's open 24, 7, 365 or five full days a week, then it makes it harder. So I think it's the flexibility of the type of work that you do. Are you customer facing? How many's in the team? All those sorts of factors come into it, really, Amelia. Mm. Um, I certainly think kind of unique based um, where you have to be self-disciplined and and you're not dictated to by external factors as to how you work is where we saw it really positively impact. Mm, exactly I mean personally when speaking about the four-day working week uh, my mind immediately goes to well-being really Um, so do you think there's a correlation then between reduced working hours and improved mental health among employees follow us on twitter at hr review or join us on linkedin and facebook why not subscribe to the premium version of HR and Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast. I think for the majority, it would have a really positive effect. You know, you've got more hours to concentrate on yourself, your personal commitments, do social things. That for many has got to be a positive um, but for some, it, it proved to be quite stressful fitting five days into four. Um, for many businesses, the work doesn't go away. There's nowhere else to put it. Mm. Um, and that means that you are working, well, you're doing more in less hours. Now, for some, that's that's really malleable and you can change deadlines, as we touched on earlier. But but for others, that can be quite stressful. Um, I'd say it's got more, a lot more of a positive impact than a negative, though, Amelia. Mm. but what about productivity then um do you think a four-day week would impact that I mean if so um do you think there are any strategies uh, that managers could employ to effectively measure and manage productivity in this kind of flexible working environment yeah I think if you're doing five days in four then your productivity is going to increase you know I think th- there was talk mm. when we did some um we had some discussions on the five-day working week on on a Friday afternoon, for example, maybe where people are quite tired <laughs> and, yeah. you know, they pick the easy stuff to do. And, you know, let's let's be honest, we are human. We can't work at the same level of productivity every day, every hour of every day. And, you know, come Friday afternoon, maybe I'll think, oh, I'll do some easy stuff and maybe not execute and deliver as, as greatly as I did on Tuesday afternoon. 
that's human nature. So I think inevitably when you move to a four day, you do become more productive because you have to be, you have to be more efficient. You've got less hours to do your work in. Um, in terms of measuring it for employers, I think you've got to look at the job. You've got to look at how they, what the delivery, the, the deliverable measurables are on that job and some find some way of, of owning and transparency around that. So if it's kind of a, a widget based job, that's really measurable, that's easy. Maybe with a project-based job, you need more updates daily of what people are doing, how they're operating, how they're working, what they've delivered, um, et cetera. Well, that assessment of productivity is, is, is job-dependent, but there's, there's often ways of measuring that, without a doubt. Mm, I mean, I guess um, alongside that, fairness is also something important that companies need to consider as well, really. Um, I mean, how do you think companies can ensure equal opportunities for career advancement um, and also professional development in a flexible work setup if you know some employees for example chose a four-day work week and others opted for five days do you think there'll be a bit of discrepancy in in the fairness there this shouldn't be it's the base point the law means that you know an, an individual who's working different hours for whatever reasons part-time four days um, should not be treated at a detriment to a comparable individual doing the same role etc so businesses need to know if they're going to do that there is absolute risk there is risk of unfair treatment for a part-time worker there is risk of potential i mean it may be more women for example would choose a mm. four-day working week or a part-time arrangement potential indirect discrimination claims so businesses absolutely should be and would be remiss of them not to be treating everyone fairly based on their output, delivery, contribution, which has no relation to or no bear or the hours they work has no bearing on that choice for promotion, for opportunity, etc. And I suppose, Amelia, that comes with education. Businesses mm. need to understand that and, and take advice if they're going to potentially make a decision that, that could put them in risk because the law is absolutely against any unfair treatment um, or inequalities around such working arrangements. Thank you for that, Kate. It's been um, a really insightful conversation. Um, but before we wrap up for today, I do have two more questions for you, uh, which we ask all of our guests on the HR in Review podcast. Uh, so the first question yes. is, if you could pass on one crucial lesson you've learned in your HR career in one minute or less, <laughs> what would be your top tip for other HR groups? There we go. One minute. No pressure. <laughs> you know, I could probably talk to you for about 10, Amelia, but I'm sure you won't want to hear me talk I'm sure for you 10 will. minutes on this. <laughs> you know what? I think the role of a HR professional is very hard. You have got to be um, everything to everyone. You have to be compliant in the law. You've got to appease directors. You've got to have company growth in mind. You've got to support the people. You've got to be a social worker and a psychologist on occasion. You yeah. know, one thing I would say, and I know this term is used so frequently, and apologies if, if it, it, it bothers someone using this term, but emotional resilience and perspective are really key. You know, you can take, you can go home, you can think about the day, you can get really worked up. And goodness knows I've done that on, at times, Amelia, but as I've progressed through my HR career, I've really become, I suppose, I've, I've realised perspective and strength is so important in HR. 
not sweating the small stuff, not overthinking, being really lucid and clear in your thoughts, taking a step back. Um, It really is very important for the decisions you're making with your team, but also really important for your own well-being. So it's very overused emotional resilience, but I really think it's a key attribute in the roles that we do in HR. Great. I mean, I think that was only just over a minute. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, then, um, what do you think the single biggest change will happen in HR is over the next five to 10 years? No minute timeline on this one. No worries. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm not being timed. That's good. That's always good for me. Um, I mean, there's a, you said single, so I'm going to say two, which you'll probably slap my hand for, Amelia. But one in April, there's seven legal changes alone. Flexible working, as we're talking about, being one of the things today. So there's an imminent flurry of employment law legislation change that employers need to be abreast of. But the, the real big thing is the general election. I mean, look at the, the, the recent by-election. Things are moving in different directions, it seems. I'm no politician. I'm no political commentator. But it looks like there's going to be a plethora of change in employment law because of the political landscape. Mm. And if that happens, that's going to have a massive impact. Even Labour with the recent manifesto unfair dismissal claim from day one, for example, no caps on some liabilities at tribunals, for example. That's If that happens, that is a massive overhaul. So I, I know as much as you, Amelia, we watch this space, but I th- there's a lot of pace of change in, in in the employment law landscape in the next couple of years. Great. I mean, no one's actually mentioned the election yet, so that's super interesting um, to hear from you. Um, and thank you again for such an insightful conversation. It was really great to have you on today, Kate. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Amelia. Thank you for having me. The HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. HRReview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HRReview or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.